All right. Well, it's a uh, second Sunday. That means it's a Psalm Sunday. If you've been around, you know we're working through the Maskell Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 44 today. So you can go ahead and turn there. And as we get started, I want you guys to take a minute and just read that Psalm quietly. All right. So read it to yourself. And as you're reading, just look and see if you notice any key thoughts, key themes, natural breaks in that psalm you do that while i get set up here i might talk a little okay this one's just a little bit longer than the last few masculine psalms but as you read as you finish up reading anybody can shout out at me anything that stood out anything that repeats or anything you think might be a theme here now i know there's an answer on the screen already and i gave you that at the very beginning of this this study um you know one thing that you you may have already done is you might have taken that slide i gave you a couple months back with all of the math skills and 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 kind of a you know a title or a key idea for each of them you might have already gone in and written that at the top of each of that one of those psalms in your bible so you have it you know I, I, i've labeled mine so i already know psalm 44 to me it's about distress but Shout out at me if anybody has any ideas, uh, anything that you saw that stood out. Deliverance. And there's no wrong answers, right? God spoke to you as you were reading. I'm not up here to, to correct anyone. I just wanted to hear a little feedback. That's good. The battle is the Lord's. Not trusting in your own strength, but trusting in God's strength. Yeah. Chastening. We have an enemy. And I see the flip side of that in this chapter as well. We also have an ally. God's glory. What's that? Casting them out. Yeah. Good. And any anybody notice any ways to break this chapter apart? Any natural breaks? Anything that just kind of made sense to you? Any transitions? Between nine and ten. Okay. All right, no worries. This is how we usually start, kind of in our uh, Discovery Bible studies. We'll take a minute to read and and, and let people feedback. And uh, I just wanted to start you there because I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you today. It's a little longer chapter, but we will work through it. Uh, and I wanted you guys to start, you know, just engage with us a little bit, engage with me and engage with this chapter. As we work through it, I'll tell you, uh, everything that you guys said is, is absolutely wonderful and, and accurate. This is, the, this is the beauty of the word of God. It speaks to you. And it speaks to me. Now, there are doctrines and there are things that are absolutely true. And therefore, can also absolutely be wrong if you get it wrong. But when we're looking at how the word speaks to us in terms of, you know, type points and uh, and what is what does this chapter say man those are going to hit you wherever you're at because the lord will meet you wherever you're at right and so that's good uh it's a good practice now i'll give you uh the way i broke this down i'll, I'll give it to you up front uh i take the first eight verses because there you have a selah we talked about that at the beginning of this study those produce a nice natural break for you uh because the psalmist is saying Take a pause for a minute. 
And I like that break there because the first word in verse nine is but. And that also creates a little bit of a shifting of a perspective. I'm going to run through a bunch of distress in verses nine uh, through 16 or 17. 17 is going to say, all this has come upon us. So he's summarizing all of that distress. And we'll look at it here in a minute. And then you'll get a transition there again in about 17 or 18 as they shift towards the later half, half of the chapter and shifts back towards giving praise to God. So that's where we're going to break it down uh, today. Oh, I got, the, I got the clicker. I got the control. All right. But what we're going to look at in terms of uh, a theme for today, I titled it Defeating Distress Through Discipleship. Uh, because I wanted everybody to be able to engage with, with the topic. So I put it in a discipleship context. The way that it's spoken about inside this chapter would be a father's role in future victory. Because in those first few verses, it talks about the, the impact that the father had on the current generation that is writing the psalm. Right? But when we think about fatherhood and discipleship, they are very similar roles. Right, So you don't have to be a, a physical father to be a father. You have to be a, a discipler, or you need to have the mindset of a discipler or the mindset of a father. Even if you're not a father, one of the objectives of Scripture is to bring you to the place where you have the mindset of a father, the character of a father, so that you are ready to father, and God can bring people under your, your oversight and, and put you into the role of a Here's another word that we could use interchangeably, a shepherd, a discipler, a shepherd, a father. And you know Dell's heart. He's made that clear over the past you know, couple years now uh, in terms of shepherding. So this chapter is going to give us some insights into shepherding through distress, because there is a lot of distress in this chapter. And so as we start at the very beginning, what we're going to look at first are the father's words. In verse 1, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us. And so the chapter opens up with the psalmist declaring that he has received a message from his father, or is actually in the plural, so the, the generation before, or the multiple fathers that he's had in his life. And I would stop and praise God, and I could say personally, I have a biological father who's also a spiritual father to me, but I can look back across the, the scope of my uh, 42 years of life. I know. You didn't know I was that old. Still looking young. Still looking good. Still not as old as Rachel, for example. I could have picked a lot of people. You're just closest. I could have gone one row back. Yeah. I'm still not as old as any Thomas, any any of the Thomases, you know, but that's not, that's neither here nor there. That's not the focus. What I was going to say is this, I can also look back and say I've had many fathers. And I praise God for the role of other fathers in my life. Men that weren't my biological father, but men that came into my life uh, and and had a spiritual fathering role. A man named Rick discipled me. He was also my my boss at that uh, through high school, through most of high school, I worked uh, with a guy named Rick Romero, and he was he discipled me. He had a role of a father in my life. My youth pastor in high school was uh, Shane Crawford. He was a, a father to me uh, as well through that season. Uh, pastor Kenny Morgan, uh, I I think I've said this before. I helped him coach basketball, which is silly 
because I don't play basketball, you know, but he too, uh, and him and Sam, you know, Sam was, was my college pastor. He came into my life, uh, right after high school. And Sam has been my, my pastor since high school. So he is also a father to me. So I've had many fathers, uh, and, and you, whether you're a man or a woman, I'm praying can look at your life and look through it and say, I've had some fathers. And, and even more importantly, maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't had fathers at all in your life. Nobody, your biological father abandoned you. The spiritual men in your life were, uh, abandoned you or were inconsistent or whatever, or you rebelled against them. Maybe they've been faithful and you haven't allowed them to be a father in your life. Here's the goal. You need a father now. Doesn't matter if you haven't had a father before. Praise God if you have, or fathers. But there are men in this room and in this church who need to be your father. Okay? We all need a father. Now, here's what a father needs to do. They need to take their words and they need to pass them on to the next generation. Our, oh God, our fathers have told us what works thou didst in their days and in the times of old. So these are these are them old fishing stories, them old war stories. Remember when you get around your father or your grandfather and they're telling you about the, the good old days, right? They, the, the fathers like to do that, but, but the psalmist is telling us there's great value in listening to those good old day stories. You need a father who's going to tell you not just about the good old days, but how good God was in those days, okay? That's a father's role because a father's words matter. And the first part of that is that the father's testimony matters. So the things that we talk about as fathers uh, should always be giving glory to God over what he's done throughout the course of our life. That is a father's role. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and planted them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. They got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm and save them, but thy right hand. And he, and he goes on for a couple verses here to just talk about the testimony that the father had passed on, which means this. You should tell your kids what God has done. You should be telling your disciple what God has done. Not only what God is doing now, but get them, let them know the stories that came before. And you hear Sam doing this occasionally. He'll, he'll talk about the early days of Midtown and most of our our church body wasn't there in the early days of Midtown. Why is he doing that? Because God was at work and the fathers need to be telling the disciples, the children, the next generations, exactly what was happening so they can look back and go, oh, this is where we've came from. This is who we are. And this is who God has been. So you want to help them see how God, how God moving in your life also impacts their life. And this is important. If you're a father, if you're a discipler, if you're a shepherd, the people that are under you, as you're giving testimony of what God is doing, you want to make sure that they understand how that impacts them as well. Because it's easy to disconnect and go, oh, yeah, Sam's old stories. I wouldn't hear. It has nothing to do with me. It has a lot to do with you. Where God brought us, we, we were there, is important to all of you if you've only been here some months or some years. So you want to tie the 
them into the blessings. You want the, the next generation to see that the blessings that they are experiencing now may have, may have come at a time and, and may have had nothing to do with them, but they're reaping the blessing and the benefit of men who walked with God before. My kids are getting blessing that had nothing to do with them. And I praise God for that, but I also want them to know that. Which gives us this. When God is working in my present problem, he is at the same time working in my kid's future problem. So all I did was, was shift our context from the generation before to now to now to next. See that? When God is working in, in my issues, what I should be doing is, is bringing, bringing my kids in and letting them know what God is doing. And as he works me through that, you know what he's just done? He's made me a better shepherd. He's made me a better father. He's given me the tools that my kids are going to need to face those same problems. Now imagine this. Imagine if we invited our kids into the process. And I know there's, there's, there's problems that we'll face as adults that our kids don't need to hear about. You don't want to burden and overwhelm your kids with everything that's going on. But there are issues and problems in life that your kids should be a part of. You should be teaching your kids to pray and trust God. They should know that not everything is perfect and we depend on God. And so when I have to depend on God right now in the appropriate settings, I want to bring my kids in. Because they're going to see us work through it. They're going to see the blessing, but they're also going to get the answer or the path, the way through that problem. We, uh, many of you have heard of my brother. He's been in prison for the last few years. Um, you know, he's here this morning, actually. I know some of you were praying. We were praying that he'd be here by Christmas. He's upstairs. Uh, Kenny's, Kenny's his guy. So he's up there. So praise the Lord for that. His daughter and my daughter are the same age and my brother's daughter. Oh, there's three, there's three Fife girls that are in the same first grade class. So first grade is overwhelmed by by fives right now, five girls. And, uh, you know, ever since they came into that class, Haley has been praying for her dad to be released. And then my daughter, Gracie, has been praying for her uncle. And then Gretchen has been praying for her uncle to get out of prison. And Andrew Best said that uh, over the last probably month, when they do prayer time, every kid in that class had a specific prayer request that Paul would come out of prison. Okay, do you see what's happening? These are first graders that are modeling for us how we ought to father. These are first grade girls that are being better fathers than some of us. They have brought their whole class into their struggle. They have brought the whole class in and engaged them in prayer. And their present problem that they are working through has become the entire class's burden. I think, I think God says something about bearing burdens together. You might want to do your homework and look that up, right? All of these first graders are bearing the burden of these three girls who are really the only ones that are specifically tied to it. And all of them are praying for some guy that they don't know to get out of prison. Now he's out. You know, maybe next Sunday we, we need to plan this. Paul needs to go into that class. Paul needs to walk in there and these girls need to see this guy that they don't even know. He's out. But what that did, that present problem that they're working through, has just built hope into all of those girls that God hears, that God answers, and has given them the way through their future problem. 
when they have a problem maybe with their own father or somebody abandons them or something gets tough or some, someone's not around, they now know, well, I saw Paul come back. It worked when Haley prayed. She's just this seven-year-old kid, all right? So this is what we have to do. We have to bring our kids in and we want to make sure that they understand not only that we're not perfect, but the problems I'm working through is going to give them a solution as well. And then you see that in verse five. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. See that we, that's the current generation. The current generation understands it. Verse seven, they do the same thing. But thou hast saved us from our enemies. Wait, you weren't even alive when God was delivering that generation. No, you've saved us from our enemies. They, they've learned to make that personal and, and to apply it in their life. Verse eight, in God, we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. Over what? Over what you did in their generation. The psalmist is writing back to that first generation that was delivered into, you know, out of Egypt, into the wilderness, through the wilderness, into Canaan. They weren't alive. They identify with it now. And this was the command that God gave us, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says only, did I put that up there? Nope. All right, we'll get to that verse. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget, because it's too long. I didn't want you to read. I underestimated you guys. I'm just going to read it to you. Take heed, lest thou forget. Uh, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. This is the command of the Lord. Teach the things that I've given you to your sons and your sons' sons. And throughout scripture, this is consistent. God tells us essentially that, you know, you get three generations to work with. You get yours, you get your children, and you get your grandchildren. And that's the extent of your investment. Very few people get to live far enough to see another generation, but this is how you should be praying. My impact should impact my generation, my children, and my grandchildren. If you do a good job impacting your children, then that's going to help you impact your grandchildren, okay? Exodus chapter 12, verses 24 through 27 uh, gives the same type of command, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? Talking about the uh, uh, the the... The Lord just left me. Passover. Thank you. Bail me out, bro. Why do we keep the Passover? You tell your children because God delivered us out of Israel. Passover was, was a built-in opportunity for fathers to do this, to tie their children back to the blessing. Isaiah 38, 19. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. In Joel chapter one and verse three. Tell ye your children of it talking about praises and the things that God has done. And let your children tell their children and their children another generation. This is one of those few times where it's going to get passed on uh, to a deeper generation. So this is what we want. We need to be doing. Let me give you a practical example of that because this is a masculine psalm and it's designed for public instruction and practical application. Uh, one way that we could practically do that is our cleaning team. So yesterday morning, we had Faith Fellowship Cleaning Day. This so Faith Fellowship Cleaning Day, that happens six times in a year, right? It's every other month, second Saturday, right? So two even, second Saturday, even months. That's when we do this thing. That should be an all hands on deck. Like that should be uh, uh, the body gets together to clean and we're all there. That should be a priority thing. Now, I love it because most of the time we bring our kids along. 
Our kids had stayed at their grandparents this past week, so they didn't join us in cleaning. But we get to bring them in and, and teach them how to serve and teach them how to be a part and invest in what's going on. Now, why? Because they're going to grow up in this church. And when they become adults, they're going to look around and go, I've cleaned these toilets. Uh, and they'll be telling these stories like Sam did. They'll be like, I was six, seven and my mom made me clean these toilets. But they're going to they're go, but this is my church. And I own it. But the same thing happens here. You don't need to do it with your kids. You need to do it with your disciples. And you need to do it with your co-laborers. So we can come together and we, and we can start cleaning together. And this is an opportunity even, you know, um, some of y'all may be older than me or older than Dell. Even, even, I know, I said that like that's the highest bar. You may be older than me or older than Moses or Dell. I didn't choose you because of your age. I chose you as a leader because you're the leader of this, this class. Let me finish the thought. It'll make sense. I shouldn't have put a pause there. You might be older than Dell. Stay <laughs> Yeah. You know what? When we're cleaning, you may be older than Dell or me. You may be biologically ahead of us, but you know what? This is an, an important role. Um, you, you're going to have fathers that are younger than you too. Mm -hmm. You're going to have counselors and leaders that are younger than you. And you know what? You might be in there vacuuming the, the sanctuary with Dell. And this is a, a good time to go talk about life. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I got this thing going on in life. I mean, if you're vacuuming, you'd have to yell it. So maybe you're dusting. It'd be more convenient. Maybe you're standing there dusting with me and you're like, hey, can we talk about this thing? I'm like, yeah, let's just keep dusting and talking. You know what? That gives you an opportunity to, to grab some of, some of your counselors, some of your mentors. You might say, I don't understand how ministry works. Well, cool. Let's talk about it. Let me show you while we, let's get this toilet done. All right? That's a place where all of us should be. It should be like a, a, a family party. Right? Like, Cleaning is an opportunity to make this practical. And, and my kids, they think it's distressing. They're like, I, I gotta, this, is just, this is stressful trying to clean. Well, that's the worst you got. You're doing okay. And God, we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. That's verse eight. And that's where he brings us to kind of a climax and sums it up. And he's like, now pause right there. We're going to boast in everything that God is doing. So your testimony matters. Uh, oh, I did put it on there. I just didn't put it in order. Whatever. I guess it was in order because I did say verse eight first as well. All right. Truth matters. Meaning what? The things that you tell uh, your, your children, you need to tell them your, uh, a testimony. You need to be giving praise to God, but they need to hear truth as well. And there's two truths that come out of, of this psalm. The first one is the depravity of man. And the second one is dependence on the flesh, uh, on the Lord. I'm sorry. Not dependence on the broken flesh. Verse three, they got land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm in the light of thy countenance. And so what he begins by saying is, there was nothing that they could have done on their own. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, my father's generation. It wasn't because they were strong. Even though when we look back, we all know that our father's generation was stronger than us. Like, my dad was a tough dude. Your dad was tougher than you are. It's like, we, we're getting softer. But that's not the point. The point is, 
universally, that's because the flesh is broken. The flesh is weak. I am weak and my strength is insufficient. And this is a, a, a foundational, always true truth that my kids need to know. Because soon my kids are going to be teenagers and they're going to think that the flesh isn't weak. Like they're going to think they can do it all. They're going to have it all figured out here in about five years. Can't wait. Right? Y'all are you're, you're probably there. You got them. They're in that age. They know all the answers. But what I want to be teaching my kids now, what I want to be teaching my disciples early is that the flesh is always broken. It's always depraved. It's fixed when we get raptured and get a new body. That's the fix. Otherwise, I'm working to renew my mind all the time. It's this battle because I can wake up and it's already broken. You're like, I just woke up. I've been, I've been half awake. My eyes aren't open and my mind's already broken. How is that possible? Because the flesh is insufficient. My strength is insufficient. I am hopeless without help. These are the things I want to make sure that my kids understand. I cannot trust myself to come up with the right plan. That's an important message that I want to pass on to my children. I can't trust myself to come up with the right plan. And I also cannot trust myself to execute a plan properly. Because I don't have the strength for it. And that's what the former generation was doing. They got delivered. How'd that happen? Well, God did it. And their flesh... All they accomplished was servitude in, in, in Egypt. They became slaves. That was the power of the flesh. So the second great truth, of course, is uh, the dependence on God. Because I need to make sure that my kids also understand, my disciples also understand the flip side of that. You can't do it. Now, I don't want to leave the story there. I don't want them uh, to grow up going, oh, well, you know, I can't do anything. My dad always told me I, I'd be a failure. Uh, no, I'm not giving you that message. I want you to know, I think you're, you know what? I love you. You work hard. You know, in this world, there are things you can accomplish. You want to be an engineer, go to college. I'm going to encourage that, right? Like support, I'll support your dreams. But remember this, God's strength is sufficient. The flip side of my broken flesh is that he came to save me. So he imparts power to me. That's crazy. He also works his power through me. At salvation, the Holy Spirit came in. I got like the, like the genie in Aladdin, right? Like this magnificent, unlimited, universal power. Itty bitty living space. All trapped right down in here. That's what I got. So what do my kids need to learn from my example? Well, my kids need to learn this. Kids need to be tied to the act of trusting and not just to the blessing that comes afterwards. See, we like to tell our kids about, um, you know, praise reports. Hey, praise God. God did this. And they're like, I didn't even know God was supposed to do that. So teach your kids to trust in him. Teach your kids to start praying and walking with him. And we just had a great example from, from these little, little girls. That way, when the praise report comes, they're saying, we trusted God. Not just mom and dad trusted God and prayed. We trusted God and prayed. You know, as a family, we're, we're praying through and working out what, what's going to happen in, in Kenya. Uh, when do we get to return? At what level do we get to return? 
how much time do we get to invest in Kenya? Uh, and Rosie and I talk about it. We'll have private conversations, but at the same time, uh, I talk about it with our kids and, and I want to hear their thoughts and feedback and I want them to start praying about it. And they pray for some of my disciples in Kenya and they'll pray about us going. But the next time we end up there, you know what? When they start seeing what God is doing, they're going to go, we have been praying for this. And it's been tough. They're going to see a church grow and they're going to go, we know it's been a struggle. But they'll rejoice more in the blessing when they've been tied to the hurt and the pain and the work that came before it. Okay. This is a memory verse. Hopefully, you know, for all kids, all parents are like, we need, we need this one. You need the risers. The, the little, that little kids group, they got a song. They turn this into trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. I don't know the rest of the words. They're right there on the screen. They just take scripture and put it to music. But this is what we want to be teaching our kids uh, as disciples, as shepherds, as fathers, right? In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. So we have the Father's words, but then we also have the Father's weapons that are mentioned here. And, and, it, ties, and it talks about that prior generation, and it gives you two key ideas. It was not my sword, and it was not my strength. It wasn't the sword of the father, nor was it the strength of the father that had anything to do with the deliverance. And this is too, you know, it ties into the weakness of my flesh, but the extension of the weakness of my flesh is that, you know what, I can't even get enough resources around me to make it happen in the flesh. So you got a doctrine. Okay. Does that make your flesh stronger somehow? So you got a million dollars in the bank. Okay. Now, but is that going to help? Like, I can't pull swords. I can't gather enough weapons to actually accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish. And especially when it's distressing, because all of the tools out there, when life is hard, all of those tools suddenly fall away. And all that you're left with in the darkness is this and what's here. Right? So it's not going to be my sword. Joshua chapter 6. Verse 20 and 21. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpet. So this is they're coming in and they're, gonna, they're going to go and deal with Jericho. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men, women, young, old, ox, sheep, ass, with the edge of the sword. Now, this is interesting because that generation had swords and they knew how to use swords and they even used them when the Lord led them and, and told them to use it. It keeps happening. Joshua chapter 8, 24, and all the Israelites turned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. Joshua 10, 30, uh, and, and the Lord delivered it and, and the king thereof into the hand of Israel and they smote it with the edge of the sword. So they did know how to use a sword. They didn't depend on that sword. The walls fell down as we marched around it and blew a trumpet, like God said. Worst battle plan ever. Well, not if it's God's battle plan. Can you imagine being a general in an army? I think this is what we'll do. We'll just send our people into their country and we'll just march quietly. And then we'll blow a trumpet. Let's try that in Iraq. <laughs> 
You need to get equipped. You need to be discipled. We'll have a, a cost of discipleship class that'll, that'll happen sometime in January once we get into the beginning of the next year. And uh, if you haven't been there, you need it. And then you need to get paired up for discipleship. Why? Because you need to learn how to use the sword. Because there are, are times when the sword is valuable. In the course of following the Lord and trusting in him, he will do miracles. Walls will fall down, but then he will ask you to go in once the wall is down and to take the sword that you have and use it. If you have no sword and you don't know how to use it, the walls will fall and you will stand outside and stare. And then your, your kids will go, well, we never got victory. I don't know why God did these things and we just stood there. We didn't move forward. It's because mom and dad didn't know how to use a sword when, when the time was right. But I can't depend on my sword, nor on my strength. It wasn't my arm, he says as well. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. They got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. But the flip side is thy right hand, God, thy arm and the light of thy countenance. Um, Psalm 42, we talked about the countenance of the Lord quite a bit. So you can go back to that. Um, but the arm of the Lord, uh, the hand of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, those are the things that were used to deliver. And it gives us this key thought right here. It's simple. It was true. Supernatural deliverance requires us to engage naturally in the work. Yeah, God will do supernatural things. Let's say, but you come, you get involved with it. Because I also want to teach my kids that they can't completely disengage from the Lord and lead them to a place where they're saying, well, I prayed and God didn't do it. Well, you prayed and God did it. You just didn't want to follow up. So I need to teach them to be looking for God's answers to prayer. Not only those miraculous ones, the big ones, but I need to teach them to look for God's leading as well. The wall fell down, pick up the sword and go in the city, right? But then we go, well, is it less supernatural if God just worked through me? You know, is that somehow less God at work? Because God just, you know, I, I trusted him and I applied biblical principle and, you know, I, maybe I did a good job of teaching my kids biblical principle and then they had a distressing situation and they just prayed and then they trusted biblical principle. You go, that sounds like a fairly natural process. And then it worked out. Okay. Nope. Is it less supernatural when God works through the natural? I would say it's more supernatural that God can still work even through the broken vessel of the natural. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. I don't remember which verses I put up there. Sorry. <laughs> and say thou in thine heart, my power and the mind of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Uh, but thou shalt remember. So if you start to say this, it was all, it was all me. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And he may establish his covenant, which is square unto the fathers. You have some sort of natural ability. Don't forget, it was the supernatural that gave it to you. Of course, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord a host. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 7, this idea right here, the supernatural is contained within this 
earthen vessel. For we have, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not us. Our kids need to get that. The father's weapons are his right hand, his arm, and his, his countenance. Again, we saw his countenance um, in our last masculine psalm, his right hand, his arm. Those are, are tied to salvation. Those are tied to deliverance in, in the scripture. You can look at that. Uh, Joshua chapter 4, verse 24, uh, they're going to bring some stones out for a memorial. And they're like, well, what if our kids ask us about this? Well, then you say that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. We need our kids to know that the hand of the Lord, it is mighty. Those are the father's weapons. He uses, you know, his hand, his arm, his finger. Here's a fun study. Look at what the finger of God can do in scripture. Just his finger. All right, so that gets us through these, these first eight verses. And, and, and really, this is the focus. Obviously, as you look at your watch, you know we're coming towards the end and we got a lot of scripture left. But this is the focus because if you get the first eight verses right, then the distressing parts come easier. He gives you all of the answers up front because this generation learned it from their fathers. Now, there is a big shift uh, there after verse eight. Selah, verse nine, but, but thou hast cast us off. Ooh. And put us to shame and go us not forth with our enemies. Thou makest us to turn back. So things are different in this current generation. There are a bunch of uh, formidable worries that this generation is dealing with. And I'm just going to run you through this really quickly. But if we look at the distress that's mentioned here, it's going to cover, it's going to cover your distress. All right, there's a lot. It's packed into these next five or six verses. Verse nine, he says, we're cast off. So when it feels like God is not there or your husband or your father or your friend or the body of Christ, do you ever feel like you've been isolated, separated, uh, cast off from the Lord himself or from others? Well, uh, there's that distress that's built in here. Uh, when you're put to shame, verse nine, does it ever feel like, like God is letting you down? Like God himself is shaming you, like God is against you. Verse nine, uh, our enemies are against us. Do you ever feel weak? Do you ever feel defeated? Do you ever feel like I just can't go on? Um, turning back from the enemies, it talks about in verse 10, we turn back from our enemies. Do you ever feel like others are, are getting the victory over you? That others are taking things from you. They're being robbed. You're being taken advantage of. My boss, he's a jerk. He's taking advantage of me. My work is, is not fair. Verse 11, they talk about being scattered. Have you ever been homeless? Have you ever been unsettled? Have you ever felt, like, I don't know where I'm going to find a place to rest in the next few days. Things get real difficult. Uh, do you ever, be, ever have that type of scattered feeling? Verse 12, it talks about that, Thou sellest thy people for naught. Ever feel like you're expendable? Ever feel like you're not valued? Your husband doesn't do a good job valuing you. You feel like I'm just being sold for naught. Like what, what am I worth? Ever feel worthless? What do I contribute? Ever feel like your, your contributions don't matter? I'm being sold. I do all of this and there's no value to it. Verse 14, I'm a byword among the heathen. Ever been laughed at for your faith? 
ever been mocked by the rest of the world? Ever been passed up for, for promotion because of your faith? Have you ever been seen as simple? I work in academia. I work around a bunch of PhDs and philosophers and people who, who think they know all of the answers, right? This one is, uh, you know, insight into me. This is where I, I'm at a lot of times. I'm like, you, you, you believe those Bible fairy tales? You think those are real? Yeah. Huh. Simple-minded. Ever feel foolish? Have you ever been mocked? Right? Confusion in verse 15. Ever feel like you're lost? Ever feel like you don't have a leader? Maybe again, that's in your family. You have poor leadership. Maybe you feel like you're disconnected from the leadership in the church body, or you feel like your your leaders aren't leading right. And a lot of times that means, well, if I was in charge, things would look like this. That often comes in when this leadership thing. Have you ever felt that way? Is that your distress? Uh, that you know how to do it better or that nobody is simply leading you? I should have a leader. And here I am having to figure all of this out on my own. God, it's not fair. Why do I have to figure it out? Where's my leader? Why won't you speak to me? Verse 16, uh, I just want to hide. That's what verse 16 is about. The voice of him that reproached and blasphemed by reason of the enemy and the avenger. All that verse is, is saying is, if you ever felt like, I just don't want to get out of bed. Ever felt depressed? Ever felt like hiding from the world? Is that the distress that you, you, you wrestle with? Verse 17, all of this has come upon us. Verse 17, he sums it up. All of these distresses, and that's a lot of distresses, right? So you pick your distress. You identify with your distress. The first half of the chapter sets you up. You had bad fathers. Well, then get good fathers now. Get someone who can lead you through that distress now. Here's the summary in verse 17. All of this has come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee. Neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Distress will come in lots of different ways. And the decision has to be, the response has to be the response that we see here. We will not forget, verse 17. We will not deal falsely, verse 17. We will not turn back. Verse 18, I may be in all kinds of distress, but I will continue to follow the Lord. I will continue to trust him. I need that. My kids need to know that. I will not decline. Verse 18, I will not bow down. Verse 25, uh, God will arise. Verse 26, these are the things that God will do. These are the mindsets that we must get to. Arise, verse 26, for our help. I will continue to pray. When I am in distress and I don't know what to do, this is my prayer. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Because here's the last key for today. A lot of times we get in the way. And we simply won't let God arise because I'm up filling all the space. I mean, I know he's big. He'll push you out of the way if he needs to. But when I bow down, that's when God can really arise in my life. He must increase. I must. Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8. It's going to talk about Israel. You put your name there. Let James hope in the Lord and wait for the Lord and wait with, for, for with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem James from all his iniquities. There's your prayer.
all right? Dealing with distress, getting a father to get you through it. Rosie wrote a song. Rosie ain't got no voice. She's been sick. We gonna sing? You gonna sing? And we, we ain't gonna sing. <laughs> you doing this? All right. So she's gonna play it and sing it. And um, the words are gonna be on the screen because you might not even hear her because she, she's gonna whisper sing. I anticipate. I anticipate that, all right? And then after Rosie sings, we're gonna be dismissed. But you take what God gave you and you work with it. And if you need someone to help you work with it, then you find who's discipling you or you find who invited you or you find Dell, or you find me, and we want to help you work through it. Amen? All right.